People's priorities are changing as we realise more stuff doesn't make us happier. But how can businesses thrive by doing better with less? Welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Wheatman, and I started this podcast to help people discover why circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. Some people think going circular means swapping a few materials or making things a bit more recyclable. But that's nowhere near enough to create a healthy, resilient and zero carbon world where we can all thrive. Many organisations are missing the game-changing potential of going circular. The disruptors in this space are using circular strategies to reimagine how to create value for all their stakeholders. They're doing better with less. We'll hear from those inspiring people who are challenging business as usual and rethinking how we design, make and use everything. You'll find the show notes and links at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to podcast updates, my Circular Insights newsletter and check out my award-winning A Circular Economy Handbook. Hey there, welcome to episode 120 and today I want us to bust one of the myths of the modern economy. People don't want more and more stuff. Priorities are changing. People are realising that more stuff doesn't make us happier. Instead, lots of us are discovering that life is better when we care for, share and treasure our stuff. And what's more, doing that is better for our planet and society. But this presents a big challenge, a paradox. How can businesses succeed without selling more stuff every year? Many of the podcast guests are already doing just that, using circular economy strategies to thrive by doing better with less. You probably already have big questions about this. It feels logical to say that new designs and innovations will always make life better, that people want to keep up with trends and the status that comes from having the latest thing. And of course, it seems to make sense that making new products underpins the success of a business. But I'll share research and insights from guests in the last series of podcasts to show why we need to question conventional wisdom and choose alternative ways to innovate with strategies that are fit for the modern business landscape. Back in episode 101, I talked about how the circular economy helps us find the sweet spot between sustainable practices and stakeholder value but there's a myth getting in the way. It's the story that business success is all about growth, so companies have to find ways to sell more stuff to more people every year. I'd argue that myth is at the heart of what's holding businesses back, keeping them locked into business as usual. Because we all find it hard to imagine a world where the aim is to make less and yet create more value for our customers, our workers and suppliers, and all our other stakeholders. But research is showing that advertising is correlated with unhappiness, that pressure to consume undermines our mental health, and that just buying more stuff 
retail therapy can never satisfy our real, deeper needs. The largest known UK study of stress levels from just before the pandemic found that three quarters of the population had experienced high levels of stress related to root causes like debt, housing, comparing ourselves to others and the pressure to succeed. Then there's advertising. Professor Andrew Oswald and his team from the University of Warwick took survey data on the life satisfaction of more than 900,000 citizens of 27 European countries between 1980 and 2011, then comparing that with data on annual advertising spending in those nations over the same period. The researchers found that the higher a country's ad spend was in one year, the less satisfied its citizens were a year or two later. So their conclusion was that advertising makes us unhappy. We can imagine the world's corporate advertisers and marketing firms argue that advertising is simply trying to provide information, helping people discover new and exciting things to buy, and in that way they'd probably say they improve our well-being. But Oswald's study contradicts that. He raises the alternative argument, made by Torsten Veblen and others, that exposing people to a lot of advertising raises their aspirations and makes them feel that their own lives, achievements, belongings and experiences are inadequate. On top of that, more of us are tuning into our values before we make decisions. A couple of months ago, I heard Ruth Taylor from the Common Cause Foundation talking about the values each of us hold. And those values generally guide our choices in life. Research shows that in all countries, the majority of us, around three quarters of people, want to live by intrinsic values based on friendship, kindness, community, peace, caring for nature and so on. But we're influenced by the extrinsic values we see portrayed in the media and by institutions. And those largely fit in with the narrative around power, recognition and success. And that leads us to the false perception that others favour those extrinsic values. Perhaps the pandemic helped to see the importance of our intrinsic values and shone a light on the superficiality of worrying about our image buying the latest thing and buying more than we need. It seems clear though that many people are searching for community and meaning. And what's more, affordability is now a priority for many people. Even if you're not struggling with everyday purchases, the uncertainty of what's around the corner is more likely to encourage you to be thrifty and look for ways to ensure you get value for money. Research from Globescan and IKEA found that people's priorities are changing. Value plays a big role. People want less stuff and want the things they choose to be as good as possible. Affordability is important, and that means low prices without sacrificing function, quality, design or sustainability. Convenience is also important, but can be a barrier to caring for and circulating our stuff. And there's a growing awareness about consumption and sustainability. People don't want to be wasteful and they want to be good citizens, 
contributing to a better society and planet. What we've ended up with, business as usual, is an economy of waste and destruction. Strategies for early obsolescence, poor quality and durability, with few options for repair and resale. That's destroying value for the customer and the business. Instead, we can use circular economy approaches to respond to those emerging customer needs and at the same time do less harm and create the conditions for our businesses to thrive. I think we can boil it down to three basic strategies. To shrink the footprint on production and consumption and to give us a better return on every unit of production, whether those units are clothes, smartphones or buildings. Let's look at how we can flip those sell more tactics. Firstly, obsolescence. Businesses tend to gradually reduce our expectations of how long things should last and encourage us to buy the latest model or trend. Instead, using things for longer can create more value from every unit that's produced. Secondly, marketing encourages people to buy more than they need, owning things that are hardly used. Instead, let's use things more, getting more productivity from underused objects or creating byproducts and co-products so we get more from the raw materials. And thirdly, companies design things to be used only once. Instead, we can use things again and again. By giving objects another useful life, we can recover value from the materials, labour, research and development, distribution, everything that we've invested in the product. This is about system scale strategic decisions. I really want to emphasise that circulating materials is not the answer. We can't just focus on changing some materials or making our design a bit more circular. Pollution and emissions are created at every stage of production and consumption. So to pollute less, we have to make less. The circular economy gives us the tools to do better with less, to find ways to create more value for all of our stakeholders, customers, suppliers, employees, business owners, and so on. And we do that by providing products and services that meet real needs, things that are affordable and easy to access and are acceptable, socially, ethically, and environmentally acceptable. That gives us massive upsides. Sharing, swapping, reusing and caring for our stuff gives us affordable access to the things that really do make life better. And choosing to trade with organisations that share our values also builds social trust. Circular solutions have lower inputs and smaller footprints, reducing pressure on nature and unlocking big reductions in greenhouse gas emissions and pollution. And it's a game changer for prosperity. Profitable new services and market opportunities mean businesses can thrive, reducing risks and improving resilience. Doing better with less improves brand value and hits the sweet spot for investors, suppliers, employees and customers. you might be pushing back, saying that new stuff is better and that people like to have the latest thing 
to keep up with trends. And yet, more and more people are switching away from buying new products to buying pre-used and pre-loved. Research by second-hand clothing platform Depop shows that sustainability has been a driver for growth across the pre-loved sector. In 2020, around 75% of its users bought second-hand to reduce their consumption, followed by 65% who are looking for lower prices and better value. So there's a fair bit of overlap, with people saying both those things matter to them. Research by Vinted, the pre-love clothing platform, found that second-hand has become first choice, with 20% of its 350,000 members saying they choose second-hand over new, even if a new clothing item costs the same as a second-hand alternative. And this month, The Guardian reported that globally, sales of non-new categories are expected to grow from $575 billion to $750 billion by 2025. That's growing 50% faster than branded new products over the same period. Earlier, I mentioned the IKEA and Globescan study, and I think we can sum that up with three watchwords. Affordability, accessibility, and acceptability. People want things to be affordable, providing value and quality, to be convenient and accessible, so everyone can have a good life, and acceptable, socially, ethically, and environmentally. And what about keeping things in use? In episode 112, I spoke to Fiona Deer of the Restart Project, which aims to create the system conditions for keeping our electronics and electricals in use for longer, through repair and reuse. The Restart Project has a range of initiatives, focusing on different parts of the system, such as the Right to Repair movement, which now includes 100 different organisations. It brings people together at restart parties, where they share skills and support each other to repair broken and slow devices. And once people had repaired their first item, that sparked interest in repairing all sorts of things. And it also meant they got curious about how things are made and why they're so hard to repair. So the message here seems to be that people want to repair their stuff, not to throw it away and have to put time and effort into finding a replacement, perhaps with the inconvenience of being without a working version for a few days or even weeks. In episode 117, we heard from James Rigg, CEO of Trojan Electronics in the UK. Trojan is part of a bigger group, which has two online retail businesses selling laptops and household appliances. Trojan did some research with the customers of those online retail businesses with some surprising results. Around two-thirds of people said they thought about the impact of a product before buying and considered the brand and its approach to the environment. And over 60% of the people surveyed had bought a refurbished electrical product in the past, with over a third saying they'd purchased in the last 12 months. James Riggs saw this trend being driven by a change in mindsets around mobile phones, 
with platforms like Music Magpie normalising buying a pre-used or repaired mobile phone. That helps people trust the process and makes it much more likely that they'll buy another kind of refurbished product in the future. Trojan Electronics is working with a wide range of electrical brands and retailers to help them create further value from the products they've already sold once. Examples included luxury products like Hotel Chocolat's Velvetizer Hot Chocolate Maker and products for brands like Melita and Bosch. Surprisingly, when the refurbished product is sold alongside the new version, the refurbished product attracted different customers. People who were sticking to a budget and would have bought a cheaper, probably lower quality equivalent product instead. James described this as trading across on price and trading up on quality. The refurbished product didn't reduce sales of the equivalent new product. That means the brand is expanding its customer base and helping everyone see that it's offering a quality product that's designed to last. And this goes to the heart of what many businesses worry about and what James hears in terms of pushbacks. Sales teams especially are worried that pre-used will cannibalise sales of new products and that selling pre-used will just be a hassle. Trojan helps brands take baby steps on this, offering to sell those refurbished products from the Trojan marketplace on eBay. Trojan stands behind the quality and reliability of what it's refurbished, resolving any customer complaints. It can then share the data and learnings with the brand to help build confidence for taking the next step, with Trojan Electronics continuing to provide the high quality refurbishment and the brand selling as a certified refurbisher on eBay. And after getting good results with that, the brand might then decide to offer the refurbished product alongside the new one, in stores or on its own website. Like me, you're probably noticing the increase in brands doing this. Recently, I invested in some better podcasting equipment, and in researching the websites of products recommended by other podcasters, I noticed quite a few of the higher quality brands offering pre-used options, both for the latest model and earlier versions. And these value opportunities apply to a much wider range of products too. In episode 114, Daniel Keatser explained how Reaply's exchange platform helps clients collect data on unused assets and equipment so they can be reused internally or by another organisation. This also helps clients understand patterns. For example, which kinds of products are most easily reused, which retain the most value, and so on. For example, looking at office furniture, Reaply sees office chairs designed, by, designed and made by Herman Miller or Steelcase as lasting the longest and retaining the most value. And this is a great example of why the cost to use something is more important than the cost to purchase. In my talks, I sometimes quote a character in Terry Pratchett's fictional Discworld books. Pratchett's character Sam Vimes highlights socio-economic unfairness by talking about the cost of footwear, boots, saying that those who can afford $50 for a high-quality pair of working boots get over a decade's use from them. 
but those who can't afford that buy a $10 pair, which last a little over a year. So the poor spend $100 over a decade and still have wet feet. The Vimes Boots Rule applies to everything. Value is not just the cost of purchase, it's about quality and cost to use. When I give talks to businesses, one of the objections I hear is that most companies need to keep innovating and that new product development is just more profitable. But there are other ways to make healthy profits without relying on R&D and persuading people to keep buying more. And that can be just as innovative. We've touched on some of the benefits of using circular strategies, including getting higher returns on every object we produce. Businesses can offer profitable services to help customers keep their products in the best working condition, to support them with repairs and upgrades, and to help them resell the product when they no longer need it. Businesses can make it easy to get more productivity from underused items with rental and sharing services, and they can recover value from end-of-use products by getting them back to refurbish, remanufacture and resell. On top of that, there are opportunities to avoid the hidden costs of those sell-more strategies. Tara Button is the founder of Buy Me Once and author of A Life Less Throwaway. Tara describes several types of planned obsolescence, including building it to break and quality stripping. Engineers and designers are asked to reduce the production cost, so they might specify thinner, cheaper materials. Another approach is to use glue to replace removable fixings like screws and clips, preventing easy repair. One of the arguments for quality stripping is that firms hear customers say they want quality, but then see them buy for convenience or price. But Tara suggests that when people make their choices, often they can only guess which product will last the longest, and so they end up going for what seems cheapest or has the most appealing features. And we can see how making better quality, more robust and repairable products is more expensive. And if the business is focused on capturing value from that single initial product sale, then that's going to position the product at the top end of the market and probably reduce the number of sales. But what if you found ways to help your customers care for, maintain, repair and even resell those products? What if you could create new, profitable services to, to do that and at the same time get closer to your customers, find out what they like and dislike, how your product meets their needs and how it stands up to wear and tear? Strengthening customer relationships, stickiness to use a modern buzzword, can reduce customer churn. You probably know the research showing that it costs many times more to find a new customer than to keep an existing one. What's more, customer complaints and product returns reduce profits. Choosing to go down the route of fast and forgettable products leads to many more returns, as we heard from Chuck First of Reverse Logics in episode 116. Ever increasing levels of return mean that more and more companies are losing control of their returned products, 
with many unable to return even pristine products back into their sales channels. It's easy to see that when products have been designed to last, to be durable and robust, easy to care for and repair, they're much more likely to retain their value and attractiveness. Vintage clothing, vintage cars, antique furniture and lots more everyday items can last for decades and still be attractive to buyers. My parents have lived in their current home for nearly 50 years and some of the carpets were repurposed from their previous house. And yet, after more than five decades, the carpets still look good, with very little wear and tear, just a bit of fading where the sun has caught them. Those carpets may have been expensive, but compared to a carpet that could have cost half as much, but lasted only a decade, they've saved around 60% over those 50 years. We tend to use cost as a key measure, but it can cloud our views of other things that are important to us. Anne Stevenson, who we heard from in episode 118, highlighted the danger of framing everything in terms of cost. Instead, Anne suggested seeing ourselves as guardians for products and other assets, taking good care of them whilst we use them, and then passing them on to the next user in good condition. We already do that for lots of things. Our houses, our cars and sports equipment, our favourite things. So what's stopping us taking this approach with everything? This mindset of product guardianship is relevant whatever our role, whether it's as a maker, as a seller or as a customer. But how do companies provide things that are pre-used, repaired or refurbished without undermining the brand value? One way is to tell a better story, helping people get clear on how your organisation is giving back to the world. In episode 111, Sarah Howard explained the challenges of trying to create a circular system for ceramics. Ceramics can be durable and last for generations but the production materials rely entirely on finite natural resources, many of which have significant ecological and societal impacts. One of Sarah's projects is a collaboration with Kavala, a premium handmade ceramics producer in Bali. Instead of using new raw materials, a 14-piece commercial tableware range will use industrial byproducts that would otherwise have become pollutants in the local environment. A variety of reusable materials are captured from marble and granite factory slurries. Clay and glaze residues are retrieved from water treatment systems. And glass fragments are filtered out of rivers. The result is tableware made from 75% to 100% waste. That can give hotels a great story to tell their customers. And sometimes we need to get creative to help things stay in use and feel current. And that applies to lots of our clothing. In episode 113, Stephen Bethel from Bank and Vogue explained how he thinks about the system. Stephen tries to imagine his organisation is a keystone species in the clothing ecosystem. A bit like a beaver, 
shaping the ecosystem to create the conditions for thriving and supporting lots of other species into the bargain. Stephen aims to go upstream into the system, moving back from recycling and waste management to find ways to create more value and finding the intervention points. Stephen realised that by interacting with major clothing, recycling and resale hubs, he could organise collection of specific fabric types, even certain colours of those fabrics. And that led him to collaborate with the footwear brand Converse to create special editions of the Converse Chuck Taylor sneakers, with the uppers made from pre-used fabrics. I've put a link in the show notes to an article about that collaboration that unpacks how they overcame the key challenges. And Converse's customers love these sneakers. It's an iconic design and the materials give it a more meaningful story and they're a way to stand out, to showcase customers' values. Products like this can help brands tell a different story about their purpose and to forge deeper connections with customers and with supply chain partners. Companies are starting to go further, to find ways to future-proof the direction of the business and avoid the trap of short-term thinking. In episode 115, Paddy LaFloofy talked about one of the examples from his book, Building Tomorrow. River Simple is a UK company soon to launch hydrogen-fuelled city cars. And River Simple has created a corporate structure it calls Future Guardian Governance. That's been designed so that all of River Simple's stakeholders, customers, investors, the environment, the community, the staff and its commercial partners really do have a stake. The board's duty is to balance and protect the benefits it delivers to these six critical stakeholder groups. And the company is answerable to six custodians who represent each of the stakeholder groups and who hold the voting shares. River Simple's circular business model is also groundbreaking and it'll provide vehicles as a service rather than selling them as a product. This means that River Simple is responsible for the lifespan of the vehicle. So it's designing the vehicles to last as long as possible and be as robust as possible. It's confident that spending more on higher quality components in the build saves operating costs over the lifetime of the vehicle. Providing the car as a service means the higher costs of building a truly efficient car can then be written down over a long time, making the cars affordable from the very beginning. River Simple says at a vehicle's end of life, it will recover as many components as possible, keeping vital materials and resources in circulation, and meaning that more sustainable mobility makes excellent economic sense. So how do we take a longer term view and find new ways to thrive? Helping people and businesses to share and exchange things is going to be critical. And I've mentioned Reaply, the exchange platform we heard from in episode 114. Platforms like these and others, including MyTurn and Tulu, who we heard from in episodes 105 and 106, 
mean we could move towards a commons-based economy with lots of products available to use when we need them without the burden of ownership. In episode 119, we heard a lot from Ken Webster, one of the circular economy's pioneering thinkers, about how to rethink our approach to the commons and the practice of commoning. Ken Webster mentioned the work of Michel Bowens, who said that open, shared systems can help value to grow, whereas closed systems aim to capture value. I've included a link to an article on Medium that explains more of Michel Bowens' thoughts on the peer-to-peer economy. Ken Webster brought in several ideas about the importance of recognising and supporting the commons, the land, oceans, fresh water, clean air, and all the other parts of our living home planet that we share with each other and with other than humans. If you're in business, how could you get clearer on the ways you benefit from the commons? How might you aim to regenerate the commons for current and future generations and show what you're giving back to our planet and society? So let's sum up. We're being held back by some myths that success means selling more, and that having more stuff makes everyone happier. Those myths are undermining our future, getting in the way of better strategies that would mean we could thrive with healthy societies on a healthy planet. But these myths underpin everything. So how do we flip those embedded ideas that business success is all about selling more? using the tactics of obsolescence, of envy, of shame, to convince people to buy stuff they don't need and that's been designed for an early death. This is where we can use circular approaches to rethink those business strategies so we can do better with less and help our customers have affordable, accessible products and services that are socially, ethically and environmentally acceptable. We need to help things last longer, help them be used more intensively and help them be used again and again. It's about finding the sweet spot between sustainable practices and stakeholder value. And many of our podcast guests are sharing their stories to show how they're doing that. So where do you go from here? If you're in a business, what could you do next? Firstly, which of the three strategies could you adopt? It could be all three. And where would you start? How can you get more clear-sighted on what people want? What are your customers saying? And what are your non-customers saying? And what about employees and business partners? Where's value being lost or destroyed? And can you think about that from different perspectives of people, customers and society, our planet and business prosperity? I want to share one more quick story. Back in 2015, Patagonia wanted to make it easier for its customers to repair their outdoor gear, recognising that it could often be quicker and more convenient for people to do a DIY repair than to send it back for Patagonia to repair it free of charge. 
Patagonia was exploring a partnership with iFixit, the global repair platform, to provide instructions, videos and other helpful tips for all the common types of repair, like mending broken zips, fixing tears and rips and so on. But Patagonia was worried that drawing attention to repairs might lead people to think that Patagonia gear was more likely to need repairing and so imply poor quality materials or workmanship. So iFixit did a survey and found the opposite was true. Knowing that Patagonia stood behind its products with a lifetime guarantee and that it set out to make sure the clothing and gear was easy to repair made people feel more confident about the purchase and about investing in the often higher costs of Patagonia products. And that's another example of how circular strategies build brand value and strengthen customer relationships. So it's time we escape the grip of these myths of the modern economy. People don't want more stuff. Priorities are changing and people are realising that more stuff doesn't make us happier. Instead, lots of us are discovering that life is better when we care for, share and treasure our stuff. And what's more, that reduces our impact. But we keep hearing that pushback, that success is all about growth. And the only way businesses succeed is by selling more stuff every year. And yet, on this podcast, we hear from lots of businesses that are taking a different path, using circular economy strategies to thrive by doing better with less, making things last longer, using them more productively, and making sure we recover and revive things so they can have more lives. In other words, businesses get more returns from every unit that comes through the factory gates. And these strategies are better for people, planet and prosperity. As customers, sharing, swapping, reusing and caring for our stuff gives us affordable access to the things that really do make life better. Choosing organisations that share our values also builds social trust. For our planet and society, Circular solutions have lower inputs and smaller footprints, reducing pressure on nature and unlocking big reductions in greenhouse gas emissions and pollution. And it's a game changer for businesses. Profitable new services and market opportunities mean businesses can thrive, reducing risks and improving resilience. Doing better with less improves brand value and hits the sweet spot for investors, suppliers, employees and customers. These myths have been around for decades, beginning around a century ago. So it's hard to let go of them, and you'll hear lots of people who still want to cling on to them. But selling more means creating more harm to us, to future generations, and to all other life on our home planet. I hope I've shared some research and stories to show why we need to question conventional wisdom and instead choose 
alternative strategies that are fit for the 21st century business landscape. Thanks to all the awesome guests who've shared their time and insights in this series. And thanks to you for listening, sharing and recommending the podcast. As always, I've included links to the research and articles that I mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. The Circular Economy Podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, the company I started to help you succeed with Circular. You can find information on my talks, workshops and advice, plus Circular Economy resources at rethinkglobal.info. And you can connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can do better with less. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. If you're just starting out with the circular economy, why not check out our Getting Started playlist on the podcast homepage. You could also buy my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out the interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening to the end. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.